fade in, the present. A beautiful sunny afternoon, we are near the Nevada test site, Mercury Base, located 75 miles northwest of Las Vegas. Each of our characters is jogging over park paths near land conservations. In the background we see United States Air Force target ranges, ballistic tests. Durante, age 63, is jogging, alone on one of the paths. A friendly old guy, short, thin, dare I say scrawny, with the protruding bulbous stomach, and knobby knees. It is a pleasant day, nothing out of the ordinary. A mile up road from Durante is Marcellus, age 24, a quiet young man, wearing earbuds and iPod as he rides his bicycle, watching Helen from a distance. She is sexy, age 23, running in her tight jogging suit. He stops his bicycle, as she jogs past him. They smile to one another. He watches her attractive body from the rear as she continues on down the path. Superimposed title with music, The Oddity. Let us jump far ahead to the year 3400 in the future, the 35th century. We are on an alien planet where there is a conglomeration run by Earth people, an industrial complex that specializes in time travel, coordinating its time travelers' journeys like the flight routes of airplanes. In order to travel through Earth's history there needed to be this spatial distance between two such worlds. Time travelers are independent freedom-loving explorers. Their pace, their speed of observation is determined by his or herself. Time travelers travel in their own vertically shaped protective container that is transparent. It also keeps them in contact with headquarters, in the 35th century. In the 35th century, of Earth people on the alien world, science, religion and politics have merged. The greatest commodity is clarifying misconceptions about history. Now that time travel is a reality seeking truth is a most important function of big business, since all the other base needs of life are no longer a concern. Let us examine the hierarchy of this futuristic world. The highest in the pecking order, the commander and chief is none other than the theocratically elected, Vangelist. A Vangelist is a quasi-religious teacher, the head minister of doling out revenge against none other than, Almighty God. Of course now, to you listeners of the 21st century this sounds absurd, even blasphemous, for a pious religious order who regards themselves as morally good, to hate God but not from the perspective of this 35th century society. The current head Vangelist is named Vangelist Young. All others, the Congress of this society are equal, and simply called Tex. 
Time travelers who go into the recent past are called pastors. Those who travel a few eons in reverse into the past are called reverends. And those who travel many eons to ancient and even prehistoric times are called reachers. They seek to go as far back in time as possible, someday back to the beginning of creation. But there can only be one traveling reacher at a time. Reachers must remain concealed and unseen while traveling at all times. If the reacher's container is disturbed or even touched while traveling it can damage the process of time travel and even disrupt the whole space-time continuum. A huge structure will form that is made of evolutionary energy to conceal the time traveler whenever he or she is disturbed. It is intended to trap onlookers, keep them preoccupied with illusions from deep within their minds, until the time traveler has successfully moved on, unhindered undisturbed, and is no longer seen. And there are also crucifixes specially trained time travelers, like medics, sent to rescue others. Their destinations are preset at points of rescue, and they are beamed there at an accelerated speed without the need for time traveling containers. When the crucifixes are sent they are visible to nearby onlookers, and in past times have often been mistaken as visiting angels or saints. Their connection to control base, by the accelerated beam, shields them, protects them disassociated from onlookers or natural disturbances. The current reacher, like all other reachers before him, is against the teachings of the reigning evangelist. He considers his ways immoral, as I'm sure most of you listeners of the 21st century will agree. Few people ever believe the Reacher's reports of what life was like before the time of Noah. Reachers cannot corroborate one another's eyewitness reports, because they are required to travel alone, one at a time into the past. Convenient for the evangelist for they cannot be proven wrong. The evangelist must be always right. The evangelist teaches and believes that God, not mankind, is the true sinner, he is the ultimate sinner, and it has been so since the beginning of time. For evangelism is a dynasty, an empire, and as history has always proven, royalty will resort to any measure to keep its power, including murder. Now let us jump back to present day near the Nevada test site. May, and Detox are jogging. May, age 42, eccentric. Her terrier dog Detox, age 4, is pulling May's child's wagon by his attached leash. The wagon contains her crystal ball, microscope and small scientific instruments. The wagon has a squeaky wheel that sounds like a cricket. They come to the end of the park path. May stops and takes a swig of her energy drink. Bends over and unclips the leash, letting him run free. She sits down on a bench. 
Detox runs over near strange flowers and chases a bee. May, come here Detox. Close up on bee. Detox's face as he romps and plays snapping at the bee. May calls to Detox again. Detox leave the bee alone and come here. He romps over to May. She looks at her wristwatch at the time. She stands up from the bench, all right, I'm ready, let's continue on. She clips the leash attached to the wagon back onto Detox's collar. They turn around and proceed on the path from whence they came. Veering off until they cross a bridge over a creek. Along the park path, we come to an intersection. Ruth, 41, neighbor of May jogs along. She is religious, a Christian. Ruth, May, and Detox join on the same path. And jog in sync together. Ruth, hi there May. Well hello there Detox. Are you being a good whittle puppy? Detox smiles at her dog style, but not having the facial muscles for it. It looks more like a crooked sneer, with two or three teeth showing. Now on to business. There is a reacher nearby traveling back through time. Like others before him, he seeks proof that human life existed before and, at, the time of Noah. But this current reacher's trip has been diverted by Vangelist Young. His trajectory planned by Evangelist Young, not his own. The Reacher is passing through the Nevada test site, where nuclear bombs were exploded in the 1950s and early 60s. Against his will he is traveling back closer and closer to the moments of nuclear detonations. As he approaches it becomes increasingly hazardous to him. Undetectable to current-day 21st century instruments, his protective container senses much to be avoided. He is unable to change his container's course, because Vangelist Young has rigged it to head in this deadly direction. The result is a lethal effect upon the container and the Reacher. They are severely damaged and distorted. So the Reacher can only go as far back as the time of our story, during the first half of the 21st century. Vangelist Young's murderous act is complete. For a short period the Reacher is perishing backwards in time. The distorted container with the Reacher inside is now suspended over a warehouse in Mercury Base at the Nevada test site. Hanging overhead, his arms are outstretched at his side. The container swing, as he hangs like a paratrooper shot down. His life ending, draining away. He is dying. May jogs on, but her face distorts, changes. Wait a minute. What just happened? Did you feel that? High up in the distance sky they see three human figures floating in the air. Ruth pointing, look look out there. Three angels. She drops to her knees, kneeling on the ground, crosses herself and prays. May, 
The angels are reaching for one another. They seem confused about something, as if they're panicking. Now disappointed about something. Shrugging, it seems they failed at something. Ruth, they're gone. They left. They were three crucifixes, trying to rescue the Reacher, but they failed. The damaged container with dying Reacher inside descends, down, 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 into the warehouse. Futuristic technology, plus human feelings and physiology, merge into something that has never happened before. Truly it is an oddity. May, that felt strange. Something isn't right. May and Ruth continue jogging onwards, and see a glowing window display in the warehouse. May, let's go take a look. It's a restricted area, but something tells me we'll be okay. She and Detox, and Ruth slowly approach a very beautiful and magical Christmas window display. It is glowing like baby Jesus in the manger. Ruth, oh look. A Christmas display. Isn't that sweet? May, how lovely. But it isn't Christmas time yet. The window display is of Santa's workshop with animated elves, toy trains moving on a track surrounded by glistening hills of snow made of white fabric, and spinning ornamented Christmas trees. Ruth, I always loved holiday window displays. May, but I don't remember a commercial store being here. The stores are all contained within the military complex. There's not enough people living here for commercial stores. Maybe some kind of lonely crazy person set this up here. Ruth, it would have to be a very skilled and talented person. May, with lots of time and money to waste. But why out here in the middle of nowhere? It just doesn't make any sense. Further away, Durante is suddenly lifted Whoa. up off his jogging path and tossed onto the sidewalk near the warehouse, where May and Ruth are standing. He hands flat on his back, stands dusting off his shorts with his hands. Whoa, what's going on? Some kind of force tossed me off my path hurled me up into the air, and dropped me near this place. What is this Christmas display doing here? The Christmas window display combines into a large cloud that shoots out over May, Detox, Ruth and Durante. For a moment they glow and sparkle in whitish violet colors. Both Ruth and May, gasp, oh what's this? The entire warehouse is covered with patterns of light. Out of nowhere a creeping, evil mist appears, a dark stormy humid mist that floats over the warehouse, lingering along with the stench of a muddy swamp-like odor. It is part of perverse evil from the distant future, from Evangelist Young. The following is the usual sermon taught by Evangelist Young at his pulpit in front of his congregation. A typical broadcasted sermon before his worldwide audience in the 35th century. Like many of the offbeat interpretations of the Bible, he usually begins with In the beginning, God destroyed. 
God destroyed all the dinosaurs, animals, and man-like apes in his great flood in the time of Noah. There were no people back then. Noah was a specific terminology that stood for no alive humans. God had begun his sinful nature with his great act of destruction, the great flood. Then 4,000 years BC man and the animals that we know of now were created, for God needed something to torture. God created Adam and Eve to have constant sex in the Garden of Eden and live forever. Constant erotic pleasure, only to deprive them of it, and taunt them. Lead them to perversions and infidelity to one another. He gave Adam many wives to rival Eve. And Eve many rivalous lovers as well. Adam and Eve recognized that God had created the devil and his demons to torment them, make them sick and disrupt their sexual pleasures. So Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden to get away from God's evil. They were not expelled. Adam and Eve rejected God. They nicknamed it the Garden of Evil. Let us pause from Vangelist Young's sermon and resume our story in Nevada. If any one of you want to hear more of his sermon, just speak up. Does anyone want to hear more? I thought not. For as they say, it is written. The Christmas display in the window is now gone. Mysteriously, the enormous illusionary structure begins to form, initiated by the oddity. Taken from the memories of Durante, from deep within his mind. Made of illusionary energy to conceal the Reacher, trap our characters, and keep them preoccupied with illusions. It crawls over, bathing the vacant warehouse with the formation of an old 1950s department store. A Woodward and Lothrop's. It is of 1940s architecture, several stories high. They all stand looking up at it, in amazement. It completes its detailed illusionary formation. Ruth, oh my God! They all agree in unison that they each see the department store, the large Woodward and Lothrop sign towering above them. Off to their right is a side service entrance that has been boarded up with wooden planks. It radiates a bright green glow. May and Ruth approach. One wooden plank falls off, revealing a dark flooded executive hallway. Marcellus on his bicycle rides up to this service entrance. Ruth asks May, do you think we should go in and check it out May? May shuffles her deck of tarot cards. Whips one out. Looks at it, and says, yes. Durante, oh come on. If we don't we'll always wonder what was inside. Ruth, I used to hear about a Woody's department store on the east coast from my mother. Let's go inside. Durante, sure sure sure. I remember shopping at the Woody's department store when I was a kid in Washington, D.C. I went there all the time. May and Ruth pulled down the other planks. Marcellus, 
Wait, do you really think we should? Detox's ears go up, he is curious and hesitant. Marcellus and Durante help them remove the planks. As they enter, stepping over the rubble, Marcellus backs away, and only watches. Well, this may not be such a good idea. Maybe a loose ceiling could crash down on us or we could step on rusty nails or get attacked by dangerous rats and spiders. Marcellus pauses, hesitant but enters behind them anyways. Interior, old dilapidated service hallway. It is dimly lit. Overhead light fixtures are broken. They cautiously enter, stepping over old furniture and trash on the floor. Their shoes splashing through small pools of dirty water. May, pulls her wagon. Detox sniffs an old rusty toilet in the hallway. The hallway is filled with damaged rusted office equipment and office trash. They slowly proceed through. A snake slithers along the flooded floor. Just as our characters reach the end of the dark service hallway, Durante sees the main lobby of the old Woodworth and Lothrop department store. Music plays on the loudspeaker throughout the store. Our five characters enter one by one. And there it is, in the distance, up at the store's ceiling, in the corner of the lobby. Sparkling, dripping burning ambers and glowing, the oddity, suspended in mid-air above old glass counters. We can see bright lights at its center, the core of its being. Each person as they enter, sees a different environment around this hovering oddity. Detox, makes a scrunched face, and falls over on his back, whining. What is the oddity? It is the last lingering life force of the Reacher. It is a remnant of human life and futuristic technology from a powerful stream of energy connected to, well, we went over all of this already. But, most odd, it is in the process of evolving backwards through time. Durante's perception of the store lobby is filled with 1950s holiday displays and decorations, crowds of shoppers, and salespeople from the 1950s. He has always been a huge fan of old TV programs and movies, nostalgia, but also of his own aches and pains. He would like to own all the TV collectibles, but the expenses of his medications prevent him from doing so. He carries the prescription vials of his medication in his bulging shorts pockets. Marcellus enters the department store lobby. He sees the oddity but with no changes in his surroundings. He is basically a skeptic, a techie caught in the world of his computer games and only what his scientific mind acknowledges. The oddity is dropping spilling off sparks like the tail end of a smoky dwindling fireworks display. For him it is at the center of an empty warehouse, nothing more. May sees the store lobby as a mixture of an herbal supply store, 
covered with astrological charts, palm reading and tarot card posters, combined with the emergency room of a hospital. Ruth sees the store lobby as ancient Israel, ancient Jerusalem, where she is the Virgin Mary in robe, waving her arms, to and fro, in worship and adoration. Helen enters alone, last of all, through the swampy filthy service hallway. She is like a diamond in the rough. A beautiful woman in the center of murk and mire. She sees the store lobby as a large bus terminal. She stares up, squinting at flashing pulsating light emanating from the oddities. Helen, this is a first contact, a new light from outer space, a birth. It's a new sensual interspecies connection. A little boy from the 1950s, recreated by the oddity, flies a toy airplane around the store lobby. Duranti, sees the store filled with exciting 1950s holiday activity. He smiles and comments, how thrilling seeing this wonderful sight. I must have bumped my head. This can't possibly be real. A little girl in cowgirl outfit skips through, while twirling a lasso over her head. As Durante strolls through. He walks around a display of early 1950s television sets with their small screens and beautifully crafted wooden cabinets. There is a large sign propped on the floor that says, this is television. The words, this is, in small letters at the top of the sign, and in very large letters the word, television, Durante stops near to us, so that he obscures our vision of the last three letters, I-O-N, May and Ruth walk over, Ruth obscures our view of the second E in the word television and May steps in front of the capital T, the first letter. So all we see is the word, Elvis. This is Elvis. Howdy-doody marionette string puppet walks across our view, he is operated from above by Buffalo Bob. Then Elvis marionette puppet follows after them taking long hip-wiggling steps. Durante, this is more like it. Back in the days when things were simpler. When TV news was only 15 minutes. When the CBSI filled the TV screen all day long continuously, every day until the prime time shows started, at 3 p.m. 
a 1950s salesman tries to sell them a transistor radio the size of a large woman's pocketbook. He says, look how small it is. You can carry it in your purse. Powered by new miniature transistor technology, the miracle of the age folks. A new Chevy car is on display, with all the hype, and a beautiful sexy showgirl. May walks over to her wagon, takes out her crystal ball, sets it in a careful position inside her wagon. She sits on the floor and begins gazing into the crystal ball. Wait, there. I hear it crackling. There I see it now. There is an electrical source that is shorting out. She stands, investigates, and detox follows. May, I can tell where there is an increase in electromagnetic fields. This electricity is not good. It means there is an evil presence somewhere in here, with us. From out of nowhere, from the direction of the hallway entrance, a huge bright electrical power surge up. They both are badly shocked. Detox is hurled up and out of sight. May is thrown back into a corner, her body smoldering with smoke. Detox has been thrown into a meat locker formed by his mind. He is plastered up on the ceiling. His dog legs and arms stretched out like silly putty. He sees meat hanging everywhere around him. Is this a delicious fantasy come true, or a nightmare? With detox it's hard to tell. In the corner, May is still lying on the floor, her body smoldering. Through the smoldering smoke, enters Charlie, age 34, a snide overconfident kind of guy. He sees the store lobby as part of hell, and part of a fiery disco nightclub. On his nightclub dance floor is May. Her vision is blurred. She sees the disco lights hanging around Charlie's head as a blurry aura. Covered in the smoky blur Charlie appears to be dressed as a southern gentleman. Part of May's hallucination. May, why thank you. I always rely on the kindness of strangers. My name is Charlie. I live nearby. Are you alright? He helps her to stand. May. Rambles, you are a true southern gentleman Charlie. If you like you may escort me to the annual ball. Teehee. Detox drops from the ceiling. This snaps her back to reality as Charlie appears in his real street clothes. The disco scene of hell and damnation vanishes. Charlie sees the entire department store engulfed in flames. He sees complaining customers from the 1950s all about. And stressed out salespeople all emotionally breaking down. There is a small child crying, injured at the bottom of the escalator. Her dress caught in the bottom step. Charlie runs over to help the child. May slowly approaches watching with worried face. Charlie frees the child's dress from the escalator. The child stands. Child at escalator, thank you. 
I'm never going to get on that thing again. Not ever. Charlie, oh you should never give up hope. Charlie looks back at the escalator and it is motionless. It is now old and dusty. Marcella's reality has affected Charlie. The little girl is gone. Suddenly a sinister evil force enters the lobby. A cold chilly wind whisks through the store. Exterior. Outside, the wooden planks from the service entrance jump up off the ground, and magically seal up the entranceway. Or in this case, the exit way. Now no one can leave the store. A mysterious loud scary voice is heard reverberating throughout the department store. It is the entrance ghost. A part of the murderous evil that is linked to the future. To Evangelist Young. It shouts out. Attention money shoppers. Don't you know who I am? Or find riches beyond compare. No toils or troubles. Life without a care. Helen journeys via the escalator up to another floor, to an empty showroom. Suddenly she appears within a glowing display window. There is a small mannequin standing in a laboratory setting, next to her. They are stiffly animated wearing white smocks. In front of her appears a futuristic alien man. Behind the man is a landscape of a strange distant planet. Futuristic alien man. Hello, I see that you are here at last. That's very good. You've come a long way. Helen, hello. My name is Helen. I am on Earth. I'm not sure what year it is now. I'm interested to know what year you think it is. Helen pauses to think. Life is like flowing water. Love is like flowing water. Earth and human beings are mostly water. She jumps out of the display window into the empty showroom. The walls close in around Helen, and the showroom becomes a hallway. It fills with water. On Helen's neck appears gills like a fish, and she swims through the flooded hallway. While she swims her body changes to all water, transparent liquid. Helen, out of body I am free to travel on. On the walls are framed paintings with images that move. She sees a harp with white angel wings on it, playing beautifully by itself. Helena's liquid reduces in size, and swirls in and out throughout the harp strings. Then she returns to normal size and sits and plays it. Once I had a secret love That lived within the heart of me All too soon my secret love became impatient to be free. So I told friendly star the way that dreamers 
Helen becomes herself, in solid form, no longer liquid, and all the water gets sucked into one wooden frame, as art, hanging on the wall. Marcellus travels up the escalator, sits on the floor, looks at the framed paintings with abstract water effects swirling within, Helen is not there. More framed paintings appear on the wall randomly scattered. In one painting he sees the eerie face of the entrance ghost, the spectre of evil, fading in and out. The framed paintings line up in a neat orderly row along the wall, each filled with green alien train cars. Ruth is on board one, visible through one of the train windows. She is dressed in a robe from ancient times, like the Virgin Mary. Ruth, I'm a traveler. Someday through Jesus Christ I shall travel through time. She holds up her crucifix necklace, and presses it against the train window. It makes a frosted impression on the glass. Marcellus travels down the department store escalator and becomes lost in hidden architectural areas behind the walls. He is lost in a maze of multiple floors, a labyrinth. The worst thing imaginable happens. The entrance ghost enters his body. It inhabits him. His body goes and is lifted up off the ground, to float about around the rooms and over the escalator. Marcellus, I am filled with deadly pollutions of the present, and the twisted corruption from the future. The entrance ghost quickly exits his body, and the labyrinth of twisted floors. Marcellus is tossed into midair, to stand regimented on the down escalator steps as it takes him down to the main lobby. The hovering oddity exhibits at its center a bubbling stream of magnified human cells, that repeatedly move in an upwards motion. In the 35th century. There exists a theory that the secret of time travel was prophesied at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The cross itself was one letter T, and Jesus' body formed the second, together a double T that stood for, time travel. The sign over Jesus' head contains three lines all stating King of the Jews in three different languages. 26 letters in the Latin line, 30 in the Greek line. So knowledge of how to time travel would be discovered either in the year 2630, or more pertaining to time travel backwards, in the year 3026. By 2630, methods for time travel had not yet been discovered. But in the third line of the sign over Jesus, there are 19 letters written in Hebrew, reading from right to left, indicating the direction from 30 to 26. Also in numerology the number 19 meant the perfection of a divine order, and this third line indicated the third, millennium. So the search continued for 396 more years. Then in fact, in 3026, the secret of time travel actually, was, finally discovered. 
It was found hidden on the walls of the tomb of Lazarus. Several layers encrusted within. When finally decoded, it revealed how to use harness to electricity, not yet discovered in ancient times, applied from a very distant place that only Jesus knew about, using holy tabernacle-like designs and structures to achieve time travel. In ancient times anything beyond the sky was called the heavens. God's kingdom, heaven. After first contact with aliens from a distant solar system, that very distant place, their planet, helped establish the industrial complex of our story, that specializes in time travel. But after a few hundred years, it was far from being heaven. May gazes into her crystal ball again inside her wagon. Inside the ball is the vigilated image of Ruth, who is seated behind the window of a moving alien train. Dissolve too, three fat alien biker guys are watching Ruth from inside the alien train. Pine down escalator too, Charlie still near the escalator in the main lobby. He sees the entrance ghost. It forms into an evil security guard. It busts Charlie for shoplifting. Hold on there son. What do you have hidden under your jacket? I'm afraid you'll have to come with me. Charlie is afraid and panicked. The security guard takes Charlie on the down escalator, leading to the basement's fiery furnaces of hell and damnation. So long Charlie. Durante is wandering through the 1950s lamp and shade department. A light bulb floats in midair and lights up near his head. He suddenly realizes he hasn't taken his medication. Grabs into his shorts pockets and takes out a few vials and places them on a long glass display countertop. Durante, holding his index finger up, as if having an idea. I forgot to take my medication in all this excitement. May sees his medication, and enters the Ranty's reality. May, most of these cause side effects that are worse than the treatment. The pharmaceutical companies have you enslaved. All they care about is profits. Durante, holds up a 1950s lamp with a moving waterfall scene on its shade. The lampshade has tassels hanging from it. You're right young lady. I'd much rather spend my money on one of these. May, that contains petroleum plastics that give off harmful fumes that you may be allergic to. She unscrews the top of the lampshade, takes it off and puts the remaining lampstand on the glass countertop. She pushes the lampshade into Durante's face. Smell it. Old mildew lampshade. Smell the paint and plastic fumes. It's nothing but cheap commercial junk. Mass marketing hype. Someone else's silly fantasy designed to take your grocery money. Durante, why, I bet this is worth a fortune. Look at that beautiful waterfall. It makes you feel good. Why would you want to live at all young lady if you scrutinize everything? You take all the fun out of life. Looking at a nearby 1950s cookie jar also on the store display countertop. 
It is of a round chubby woman. He lifts up the lid of her head. This is nice. A rare cookie jar. I remember it. You could also put honey or blackstrap molasses in her. May, I don't think so. A cookie crumb falls out of the cookie jar onto the floor. Detox slips it up, then looks up at the cookie jar, sniffing for more. You have no imagination, young lady. How are you going to dream of a better future, if you forget all the good things in the past? You call all the fun things commercialism, all the rare things in life bad for your health, and bland boring things you insist are good for everyone. But you have no imagination. I say blackstrap molasses. I know a thing about eating right and living a long life too. Wheat germ bread is good for you too. Are you listening to me? May, wheat. Most people are allergic to wheat. It lowers their immune system and shortens their lives. The cookie jar lady magically comes to life. May is surprised. Durante is delighted. The cookie jar lady sings. Blackstrap molasses and the wheat germ bread Makes you live so long you wish you were dead You add some yogurt and you'll be well fed With blackstrap molasses and the wheat germ bread My grandpa's older than the old gray mare He sits a-rockin' in his rockin' chair Durante is pushed by the cookie jar lady down into a rocking chair He laughs but now he's got a smile that he can't lose. Grandma's sitting in baby's shoes. From eating blackstrap molasses and the wheat germ bread. Makes you live so long you wish you were dead. You add some yogurt and you'll be well fed. With blackstrap molasses and the wheat germ bread. The lampstand transforms into a thin slender version of actor-comedian Danny Kaye. Durante's face and nose transforms into comedian entertainer Jimmy Durante and joins in singing. I gave up cherry pie and T-bone steak, chicken fricassee and ice cream cake. I don't need vitamins or pills at all. I even mix it with my hat of call. Honey, blackstrap, molasses, and the wheat germ bread. Makes you live so long you wish you were dead. You add some yogurt and you'll be well fed. With blackstrap, molasses, and the wheat germ bread. An old cash register on the store glass display countertop transforms into the face of comedian entertainer Groucho Marx with the cash register's form intact complete with numbered tags. My knives were jumpy and I'd walk the floor. I never got to sleep till after four. But since I'm eating right I feel okay. I'm sleeping every night and half the day from I'm eating blackstrap molasses and the wheat germ bread. From eating wheat you so long you wish you were dead. From eating you had some yogurt and you'd be well fed. From eating blackstrap molasses and the wheat germ bread. Inka dinka, inka dinka, inka dinka do. Now I was thinner than a pencil line. Had no muscles and I had no spine. But now I'm friskier than a pup. All you have to do is prop me up. Just feed me back. Strap my lashes and the wheat and bread. I make sure you're in so long you wish you were dead. 
you add some yogurt and you'll be well fed. Then Ham stand yells out while turning a radiant blue. The Groucho Marx cash register face transforms into the real full-bodied comedian entertainer Groucho Marx in a tasseled dress made from the lampshade. He does a side-to-side -side extended leg-turning dance, as he did as Captain Spaulding in the movie Animal Crackers. I know a fella who is 92. Doctors told the guy that he was Cookie through. Jolly. Now that the doctor has been proven wrong, he's got more hop in him than hop along. For me, and the wheat and bread. Next to this, the long you wish you would get. You add some yogurt and you'll be well fed. With the blacksmith glasses and the wheat bread. The face returns to normal, his nose shrinks down in size. The cookie jar, lamp, and cash register all become normal store product items. May is standing there with her mouth open amazed in her stupor. Durante walks over towards the oddity. The oddity is now a hunched over collection of bones, arteries, and veins within its center. May is standing near it with her wagon and all its equipment. She is below the oddity, studying it, fascinated. Durante on the other hand sees the oddity as a movie screen in an old palatial movie theater. He sits in one of the seats, in a center row, watching it while munching on buttered popcorn. Drunty. Going to a movie theater palace used to be a spiritual event. Larger than life. For the evening showings you'd get dressed up for it, like going to church. When I was a kid there were also matinees in the afternoons, and double features, that babysat kids while our mothers went shopping. In those days it was safe to leave your kids alone in a theater. Now the movies that they show are remakes of remakes of remakes. Or movies that are supposed to make us think they aren't really remakes, but they actually are. Or formula copies of the action movies they just made earlier. The Reacher screams in agony, Grunty continues, We've been in an age of mediocrity for the past 50 years. It's all hype, computer artsy fartsy, all for money. Not like the great pioneer movie makers of my day. The real inventors and innovators who truly created from their hearts and souls. Every movie was a technical breakthrough. A visit to town by a celebrity was a major event, with a parade and fanfare. You could feel the greatness of their emotions on the screen, by great directors and producers. Charlie Chaplin, Louis B. Mayer, Cecil B. DeMille, Busby Berkeley, Hitchcock, O. Selfsnake, David Lean, George Cooker, The Houstons Walter and John, Otto Priminger, Kubrick, Robert Altman's voice.
The Reacher screams in agony again, May sees the medical side of the oddity, the Reacher's brain stem becomes visibly enlarged. May, look at that. She takes out a glass vial, I need to get a sample. May tries to get a tissue sample off the oddity. She scrapes off the mound of bones and veins, but she is violently thrown back by a sparkling discharge from the oddity. Her vision is blurred again. The Ranty jumps out of his movie theater seat, and runs over and helps her to stand. May, thank you, and never store hot food in plastic containers. Duranty, no I won't. There you go young lady. Do you know who you are? How many fingers? He holds up two fingers in front of her face. Well, I'm glad you tried something daring and risky for a change. May, holding her vial filled with the strange glowing substance, looky here. I managed to get a sample after all. She leans over her wagon, pulls out her microscope and places the sample on a glass slide. She examines it under the microscope. May, I've never seen cells move like these. They change and evaporate within seconds. Charlie uses the department store elevator to escape from his captivity and help. When the elevator door opens he repeatedly steps out thinking that he's found the front door to his high-rise apartment. But it is always an apparition. A freaky old woman waits for the elevator. Freaky old woman, the elevator must be broken. They should put an out-of-order sign up on it. Where's a piece of paper? She searches through her purse to no avail. I'll write it, and put it up. Charlie, I have to get my things out of my room and get the hell out of here. But I can't find my apartment. Charlie runs down the hallway looking for his room number on the doors, and always ends up back at the elevator again. The elevator door opens. He enters and takes the elevator to the main lobby. He is elated to arrive in the lobby, having escaped from hell. He sees the oddity glowing overhead. The oddity has evolved to a more upright position, and is more human, grown its next anatomical layer, muscle tissue. Charlie, it's the devil for sure. He's forming his body to destroy us all. Marcellus and Helen stand in the store lobby. But Marcellus only sees the vacant warehouse. It is old grey and dusty. Colourless. Helen faithfully sees the store lobby, but it is filled with a tangled complexity of rich radiant alien patterns. The department store escalator enters into their reality, appearing suddenly. It is clean and functional. They step onto it and it travels upwards. Up up all the way to the top. It twists and bends as its steps mechanically move along. Continuously, repetitiously, with something sinister and creepy about it. The escalator becoming lost in old rotted areas behind the walls. 
Marcellus and Helen are moved along it as it slides through spooky long crawl spaces until they are moved to the edge of the escalator steps where the steps crumble apart. Marcellus and Helen slip off but struggle to keep their hold on the decaying steps, struggle to climb back up onto them in the dark. Marcellus someone help. Get us out of here. The evil entrance ghost passes into Marcellus and lifts him upwards over the damaged stairway. Helen, still hanging on to the escalator, dangling, swinging her arm up, struggles to reach him but misses him. Marcellus will. Cut to, Charlie sees fire and demon standing beneath the floating oddity. The oddity is now more human looking, covered over in layers of more muscles and skin. The lobby of the department store transforms into the fiery blazes of hell. A large canyon of brimstone and fire, mountains with suffering people on ledges. We hear echoing loud screaming, the anguish of lost souls, the roar of intense heat, jet puffs of scorching flames shooting upwards. He covers his ears. A horde of little demon monkeys approach him, clearing the way for Beelzebub. Charlie, hey man, are you Lucifer? Hello, I'm Beelzebub. Charlie, I thought you're both one and the same. No, you thought wrong, Charlie. You are always wrong. Charlie looks around the lobby and sees and hears acts of torture being committed on human souls. Without warning a nuclear bomb detonates in the canyon, explodes. Absorbing the oddity and wiping out all things. As the mushroom cloud rises and fades, dark ashes fill the sky. The ashes then fall like heavy snow, blanketing the ground. The oddity is visible once again, but permeated with a soft grayish fog. It is now obvious the human form of the oddity is the man, the reacher, the time traveler standing nude in a death-like state. He is an enchanting sight to see in his container. All set in the middle of this grayish nuclear winter. All is now still and very quiet. Charlie sighs, there. That's better. Silence. Silent night. The entire scene of a spectacular nuclear winter with the Reacher inside the canyon becomes a painting on a theatrical curtain. It opens from its center with the creaky rusty sounds of curtain pulleys revealing a theatrical stage behind it. The stage setting is of Calvary with its crosses. At the center is Jesus on the cross hanging inside of a time traveler's container. It is in pristine condition. Roman soldiers gambling with dice, distraught disciples, and heckling ridiculing onlookers are watching him. Behind this entire scene is a gigantic painted backdrop of a stormy sky, God-forsaken with scattering pulsating lighting effects to simulate the wrath of God. When I feel like this
and I want to kiss you, baby, don't say no. Out onto the stage front comes Vangelist Young, the entrance demon, Beelzebub, and the three huge fat alien bikers. The alien bikers are one hairy, one bald with large teeth, and one clad in a scarf, for lack of a way to describe his unearthly features. All line up, walking forwards, towards Charlie, to form an evil chorus line. Evangelist Young approaches Charlie, with his ugly sneering face near Charlie's face. He causes Charlie to fall backwards onto his butt. Evangelist Young angrily sings. So
Ash falls from cake to the clouds above. Charlie covers his ears. The song ends as the evil chorus line and the little monkey demons take their bows, curtsy, graciously down to their knees. Applause, Charlie stands and asks, Hell is a Broadway musical. Since when? Cut to interior, the upstairs empty showroom. The row of framed paintings on the wall form an alien train, traveling in the night through a snow blizzard. Ruth is seated on board, a traveling passenger. Her face seen in the train window. Moving in the windows behind her is alien scenery of a distant planet. Seated behind her is Helen and Marcellus. Throughout the alien train are passengers in overcoats holding holiday gift packages. In one window we see the face of the entrance ghost in spectral profile. Helen stands and walks down the aisle to sit at the rear of the train, as Marcellus follows her. She watches the three fat alien bikers seated in front of her. Two of the alien bikers turn around while seated, and leer at Helen. Ruth stands and walks back to them. Ruth, I know. You're off to make a new life somewhere, and begin your own loving families. I can see it in your eyes. Hairy alien biker. Why yes. How on earth did you ever know that? Or whatever planet we are on. Reaching for her, Ruth, I've been sent to help you in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm from the planet Earth. The hairy alien biker grabs her by the waist. Lustfully, baby, help me, help me, please. But he grabs Helen instead. Marcellus is outraged. He pushes the hairy alien biker, and the biker shoves him back. Marcellus falls onto a train seat. Helen wiggles and pushes herself free of the biker's grip. The alien train door opens, and Ruth runs out through it. We see her jumping out of the row of paintings on the wall, down onto the floor. Helen and Marcellus follow. Reaching out of the painting the scarf-clad alien biker grabs Helen's leg. She struggles as he is pulled out of the painting also. The other two bikers jump out to get Ruth and Helen. They have alien medical instruments for probing. They crowd around Ruth and Helen. 
flop them down onto the floor, and point their probing instruments over them. Marcellus runs over to them. Now hold on there. Bald alien biker. Sarcastic. Well, do tell. What do we have here? A hero. Marcellus, would you treat your mother or sister like that? No, no. I could never do that. Certainly not. Marcellus, good. See? You get my point. The bald alien biker holds up a sharp scalpel knife. Its blade shines in the light. Your point. It is my point. My mother's not around anymore. She was delicious. I made this coat out of her to remember her by. Ha ha ha. Hairy alien biker. Pushing his chest out like tits, and I'm his sister. Marcellus, all life is sacred, so I don't want to harm you. Whatever you are. All three aliens grab Marcellus and throw him, sliding him across the floor. The alien bikers gather again around Ruth and Helen. Bald alien biker, I, I'm first this time. Last time you were first. Hairy alien biker, no I wasn't. No way. Marcellus returns, walking towards them. He is accompanied by all of the celebrities, Harpo, Croucho, Danny Kay, Jimmy Duranti, the cookie jar lady, all of them. Plus all of the actors in costume who were on the stage, from the biblical setting, walk towards the alien bikers. The walls and floor around the three alien bikers quickly wraps them up, three alien bikers in a holiday package, while the scarf of the scarf-clad alien becomes a ribbon, that ties itself around the package. The package flies out of the showroom, down the escalator, to the store lobby. Within the floating oddity is now a fully formed man, the Reacher, but he is injured from the container malfunction, and in horrible pain. A bright rainbow shines around him and the misshapen container, that frays out from its edges. The holiday package lands on the lobby floor and opens up. First, the ribbon unties itself and dances apart, then the wrapping paper peels off, and finally the cardboard box flips open. The three alien bikers shove one another as they climb out. The Reacher cries out in pain. The three alien bikers squint their eyes as they view the Reacher who is suffering in agony. Scarf-clad alien biker. What the? The alien bikers are puzzled. The rainbow descends away from the Reacher and encompasses them. Inside of the rainbow colors they transform into three skinny adolescent alien children. They look at one another, innocent and befuddled. Three alien children. Father, forgive us. The three alien children stand alone near the chasms and cliffs of hell. Marcellus and Helen stand holding hands, looking up at the Reacher. Ruth, one of the wonderful things about heaven is that when we are there we can time travel. 
In the heavenly kingdom we can go anywhere. But we must come to heaven as children. Charlie begins to ascend upwards. Marcellus grabs him to try to keep him down. But Marcellus loses his grip, accidentally pulls off Charlie's pants, while Charlie continues to rise up to the ceiling. Charlie. Ascending voice only, so now I am going where you cannot follow me. Charlie smiles. The lobby area of Durante is now a 1950s Valentine's Day setting. There is a large Valentine prop. On the glass display counters are 1950s photos of people kissing. Marcellus and Helen walk arm in arm into this ornate romantic setting, with arching displays of grey paper and white lace. She falls into his arms. They kiss. Marcellus recites a Valentine love poem to Helen. For my words of love to last forever, all I can say now is, I love you. There is no limit, not just one lifetime, but through many, you and I together, traveling through time forever and ever. Helen smiles, shakes her head, yes, in agreement, and kisses him again. A long kiss. Marcellus and Helen walk among the 1950s Valentine's Day decorations. Our view rises upwards, so we are looking downwards. Aerial view of the other characters as they look up at the oddity and Charlie. Charlie is up on the ceiling. He walks among an assortment of ancient Byzantine paintings of biblical prophets. Ruth is standing praying at the foot of the Reacher. The Reacher with arms down at his side, has a crown of thorns on his head. A glowing bright contamination is mostly concentrated behind his head. Ruth, it is the Lord, my Lord Jesus. No one should suffer this kind of abandonment. The Reacher struggles to extend his arms straight outwards until he is in a position like being hung on a cross. He smiles down at everyone, and says, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. He is referring to the corrupted people in the distant future, and Vangelist Young who led him into dying here. He uses advanced technology from his container to reverse his speech, so that everyone can understand him. The evil security guard, looks at the Reacher in crucified position, realizing he is seeing a higher being. The entrance ghost abandons the security guard's body, to splatter itself into rippling forms that slither around it on the lobby wall. Trash and mud from the service hallway rains down upon the store lobby. Durante is angered and while standing smack in the middle of this downpour, scoops up some of the muddy trash, and throws the sloppy mess onto the wall. The face of the entrance ghost forms outer pieces of it. It laughs at Durante, then shouts out an announcement. Attention Woody's shoppers, this is what you get for all your fun. It's the remains of the day, when your day is done. 
There are no treasures here that truly last. No silver, or gold, or piles of cash. The only thing that truly lasts are these rotten heaps of stinking trash. Nothing will keep you alive and well, but those who control you keep you in hell. Duranti, that goblin can only create fear. Ruth real treasures last forever. Duranti, those who serve one another, with kindness and mercy, are the richest people of all. He pets Detox on the head. Detox wags his tail. Charlie on the lobby ceiling, Ruth commands the entrance ghost to, go away demon. Depart. Go away demon. May, Marcellus and Helen join in. Be gone demon. Charlie slowly descends down from the ceiling. He lands on the floor and sits up. He is now among the other characters. He is happy. The entrance ghost tries to ignore their prayers, and responds with, Sorry shoppers but your time is up. But their prayers has a dramatic effect. The entrance ghost diminishes, little by little, until it is no more. As it diminishes it yells out, God is evil. He created humans to torment them their whole lives. So you must follow the vengeance who will ease your suffering. God is a terrorist with self-righteous legalities taking away your individualities. He has written it in stone, robbing you of your freedoms, making you fearful, constantly in a fight-or-flight mode, making a fool of you, making a fool of you. The entrance ghost fades into a wispy smoke, until it is dead and gone. Outside of the building, the wooden plank sealing up the service entrance, fling off and away out onto the sidewalk. The entrance to the warehouse is opened. Sunlight streams in. All of our main characters are gathered under the reacher, looking up at him. Eight, futuristic beings wearing friar robes like church monks, mystically appear, standing upside down on the lobby ceiling. Plaster and dust drops down because of their presence. A normal male voice announcer is clearly heard on the loudspeaker. Attention shoppers. It is now closing time. Please finish up your shopping. The store will be closing in ten minutes. A farewell message from the reacher is heard in the minds of all. For these are the thoughts of a time traveler who knows that he is about to die backwards in time, but for our benefit he uses corrective measures, that makes his voice sound as if he is speaking normally, moving forwards. His voice is sad. My connection is breaking. I want you to know that what tears us apart throughout our lives is simply the selfishness and unkindness of our generations. Closed minds without compassion, influenced by other minds corrupted by evil, who are blind to what they do. 
They believe that all they do is always good because it keeps them comfortable and happy. But they are as far away from doing good as wicked aliens who have illegally escaped from another planet. For them, learning that they are doing wrong is a big surprise to them. For that is the nature of traveling on a wrong path for a long time. Because the voice they trust the most is usually their own, or what others have made acceptable and legitimate. So they remain blind. I personally as a time traveler, am a casualty of what people call, intelligence. I am a casualty of the arms race in your recent century, and the intelligence of an evil leader in my own century. But you can see what they have in common, what they have inevitably done. They have killed me. This intelligence, their politics, their beliefs, have killed me. My prayers go to anyone who follows after me. But you must never give up hope. Someday time travelers will make it all the way back to the creation of life, an ordered state and the beginning of humanity, where we will retrieve and salvage the truth, not the Vangelist's truth. We will put an end to those who twist the truth and make God out to be evil. Perhaps at the beginning of time another reacher will complete my mission and prove for all time that worshipping God started out in an ordered state as being good. And it was the universe itself that scattered mankind doing likewise, always going in the wrong direction, throwing themselves badly off course. I can see now ahead of me the light of dawn, the light of human creation, as never before. It is all that we have ever dreamed of. It lights me up and lifts me away. It is wonderful. It is wonderful. A vision through the tunnel of time to the light of creation, paid for with my life. So now I go where you cannot follow. Out of body I am free to pass on. Remember, I am with you always, even till the beginning and end of time. The Reacher rises upwards ascends all aglow in his distorted container. As it nears the store's ceiling a portion of the ceiling dematerializes for him to pass upwards. Once outside, an aura around the container expands and spreads over the sky. In it appears a heavenly world. Beams of heavenly light shine down over the department store lobby and on everyone. The Woodward and Lothrop's department store vanishes, revealing the empty warehouse. A strange magical sparkle remains inside throughout the entire warehouse. Interior, end of the service hallway. Maze and Ruth's husbands, enter from outside through the service hallway. They move very slowly. Our main characters move fast and jerky for they are still within a time dimension of its own, that was caused by the oddity. They gradually slow down, becoming synchronized with regular present time. 
Marcel is what is the clock on his iPod go backwards from 9am to 6.30pm. Soon all are adjusted and moving at the same speed. May's husband, taking over the handle to her wagon, pulling it along as they walk. Detox leaping about happy to see him. May honey. You were a little late, so we took a walk hoping to meet you. May, a little late? She looks at her wristwatch. We've been in here for over 12 hours. Their husbands shake their heads no, and laugh. Ruth's husband, 12 hours? You've only been gone for two hours. What are you doing in here anyways? They all walk through the service hallway towards the exit. Once outside, Marcellus pushes Helen on his bicycle along the park path. Distant view from still within the service hallway, through the entrance doorway, of our characters walking along the path outside. We hear faintly in the distance May's husband, a time traveler was dying backwards in time. Are you sure you feel alright? May, yes, he couldn't make it through our time period. Charlie, he was sabotaged by a dictator from the future. Ruth's husband, what do you think of all of this dear? Ruth, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Durante, this time traveler was a hero from the future. That's what he was. That's what he was, or is, or will be. If they eat cold cereal in the distant future, then he should be on their cereal boxes. Wheaties, the most famous breakfast in all the land. Wheaties, breakfast of champions. Charlie, too bad he didn't make it alive, back to the beginning of time. Durante, oh yeah young fella. Are you sure about that? In my mind he'll be alive forever, traveling in the opposite direction into the future. Ruth, yes I agree. He'll be alive forever in my mind too. But we weren't supposed to see him. It was an accident. Helen and Marcellus wave goodbye to the others. May, while waving back. Sighs. Detox barks. <coughs> Ruth's husband to Ruth. Come on dear, the car's parked over here. I'll give you a ride home. Ruth to May and her husband. Would you guys like a lift home? The Reacher time travels backwards into the future through clouds in the sky, the world below and around him becomes more and more futuristic. He ascends upwards into outer space where there are space cities, heavenly lands. Other time travelers passed near him. Many are women and children or elderly people of different races and nationalities from beyond even his century. 
they time travel to ancient times or are safely returning home to a future world where truth is what it should be, alive and well. The End, The Oddity, by Bruce Shane. Writers Guild of America West Registration Number 1544513 by Bruce Shane, spelled S H A N E 2011, all rights reserved. <laughs>